Welcome to the Society of Construction Law Australia podcast, the podcast where we look at legal and technical issues facing the Australian construction industry. My name's Melissa Yeo, and I'm chair of the Society's Communications Subcommittee. The Society is pleased to bring you a recording of its recent webinar event, FIDIC, Where the Bloody Hell Are You? Chaired by Sepp Zarin of Connell Griffin, this webinar features an engaging discussion between Kiri Parr, Tony Barry, and Rob Nelson-Williams on the internationally renowned and widely used FIDIC suite of contracts. For those of our listeners who are not familiar with these contracts, this podcast will provide you with an introduction to them and explore the potential for their greater adoption in the Australian market. We hope you enjoy this podcast. For more information about the Society's various initiatives, including our upcoming conference, please visit our website, scl.org.au. And if you're not already a member of SOCLA, you can sign up there too. Thanks again for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another webinar at the Society of Construction Law Australia. My name is Seb Zarin, and I'm one of the events coordinators at the events subcommittee and also a commercial consultant at Connell Griffin. Today's webinar is about the International Federation of Consulting Engineers FIDIC suite of contracts, which we've had over 220 registrations. During this presentation, our panelists will provide an introduction to this global standard contract and explore its potential adoption in the Australian market. We will kick off the, kick off the webinar by Tony Barry, who will share his insights into the history of FIDIC and how the FIDIC contracts have become a dominant global standard contract preferred by multilateral development banks. Tony is a president-elect and a board member of FIDIC and has also been a director at Oricon Group for over 20 years. Our second speaker, Kiri Parr, will outline the philosophy and structure of FIDIC's sort of suit of contracts, including the ongoing development and improvements of FIDIC. Kiri is a co-vice chair of the FIDIC contract committee and also a senior fellow at the University of Melbourne Law School. Prior to establishing her own consultancy company, she spent more than 20 years as a construction lawyer. Finally, our last speaker is Rob Nelson-Williams, who will share a FIDIC user's perspective, drawing from his experiences working for both project owners and contractors in the Middle East, exploring how FIDIC can be adopted for the Australian market. Rob is a director at Connell Griffin with over 30 years of experience in claims and commercial management in Middle East and Australia. Without further ado, I'd like to hand it over to our first speaker, Tony Barry, and thank him and the other panellists for their time today. Thank you, Sepp. I uh, very much appreciate the opportunity to speak to you today. Uh, and uh, I, I am uh, very pleased, obviously, to be able to represent FIDIC at this event. Uh, thank you for SOCLA for giving us this opportunity. The International Federation of Consulting Engineers began in 1913 and uh, today represents the consulting engineering industry worldwide. We have uh, 103 uh, member associations uh, or member countries uh, represented at FIDIC through their member associations and uh, it represents uh, what is an extremely large industry. It's a vital part also, obviously, of the global construction industry. We are uh, structured uh, as a globally representative organisation and uh, so you will see our firms are members of their national associations. Those national associations are members of FIDIC and we happen for our convenience to divide them up into various regions. Uh, as you might imagine, that helps with the time zone issue. 
uh, basically, where our aim is to improve the delivery of infrastructure for society globally. And that includes addressing UN sustainability goals and many, many other uh, elements of, uh, of what happens uh, in our world of infrastructure. Moving to the FIDIC contracts very quickly, uh, the ecosystem, the FIDIC ecosystem uh, started more than 60 years ago. It's got a tremendous international track record. We have extensive training programs in the contract and uh, from all our other committees, we contribute and include the best practice uh, as it's known, FIDIC body of knowledge is made sure we build that into the contract so that we are as up-to-date as we possibly can be. The international network uh, that we have supporting these contracts is huge. We have uh, now uh, established FIDIC credentialing, which was uh, launched earlier this year, in which people can be certified in their use of the FIDIC body of knowledge and FIDIC contract manager, FIDIC certified consulting engineer. There are a number of uh, credentials. FIDIC trainers and FIDIC adjudicators who are credentialed under that program. We publish uh, the contracts in six official languages, uh, but uh, it's fair to say that I think we probably have over 50 different languages uh, now uh, uh, have been prepared, particularly by individual country MAs. And in 2019, we started the FIDIC contract awards. So the ecosystem in which all this takes place is uh, very substantial. They fit together every element uh, of what we do. You will find that the FIDIC contracts uh, are engaged, involved, they're presented, they're uh, discussed, and there's a huge uh, process that goes around their development. We hold our contract users conferences in July. It's a virtual conference this year for obvious reasons, but uh, in, in uh, years past, they were all held in person. The Asia-Pacific one's uh, generally been in Singapore, but also in Hong Kong and Hanoi. Those uh, conferences are quite substantial and we have many, many presenters uh, dealing with individual issues at those uh, conferences. Uh, why for the industry? Why did FIDIC ever get into this? Well, the answer is to improve the performance of the construction industry, uh, effective delivery of infrastructure. It's absolutely vital that we have standardised contracts globally and FIDIC uh, started that journey uh, a very long time ago. Uh, there's a very substantial body of uh, guides that are available, guidance documents and guides that are available on how to deal with almost everything in FIDIC contracts and everything in terms of the FIDIC body of knowledge, uh, including the procurement phases and so forth. So there's tremendous resource. So if you're on a remote project in some place, you actually have access to all the, the information you might need about how to make your project go well uh, from a contractual viewpoint. So there are many advantages to standardisation and uh, I'm sure some of the other speakers uh, will, will speak to those as well. And there's a heck of a lot of efficiency and effectiveness that can be gained by using a global standard contract and a huge number of uh, people out there who have expertise in using them. Uh, there's a great range of contracts um, and uh, there's contracts for almost everything from dredging, tunnelling, uh, right through to general works contracts. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of, as I've mentioned, uh, procurement-related activities and guides uh, on how to use those contracts uh, appropriately. Uh, that's uh, all from me, Sepp. Uh, I am happy to uh, take any questions later on, uh, but uh, feel free to look up the FIDIC website. It's pretty simple. You just type in FIDIC. I'm sure you'll find it.
Thank you very much. So I don't have quite as long a history with FIDIC as Tony. I'm probably only going back about five or six years now with, with director uh, involvement with, with FIDIC at an international level. And it's interesting because there's actually only a handful of us Australians who are directly and actively involved in FIDIC and uh, we're very much coming out of the engineering companies who have that global reach. Um, what I hope to do in the next uh, 10 minutes or less, I hope, um, is to build a little bit more understanding of the FIDIC contract suites uh, and, and the work of the contracts committee in particular, because that's where I've really come in and joined FIDIC. Um, Tony mentioned that uh, FIDIC is the peak body for all the member associations uh, around the world. In Australia, that's Consult Australia. Um, and that's where my involvement comes from. I was a president there, I'm the immediate past president of, of CA and uh, have been working with that organisation for uh, 15 years or so and it's been a big part of my life. Um, once you start getting involved in FIDIC, what you start to appreciate is just that global reach and perspective that, um, uh, that, that you can get from this organisation. It's not English-centric, it's... Uh, so international um, and that's one of the significant learning curves I've been on since I've gotten involved with with Consult Australia, that, that, that learning of working with people who are really active across the world and come from very different legal backgrounds. So FIDIC has been developing these contracts for a very long time. Um, uh, the main contract or the Red Book, as it was called, you know, dates back to 1957 and had its origins in uh, the ICE contract of the time. So I think for the Australian lawyers on board, you'll find the FIDIC contract suite to this day very comfortable. They feel like Commonwealth country uh, documents. Um, they won't take you by surprise. Um, and... Since I've been working on this contracts committee and, and being involved in the process of their drafting, um, what I can tell you is that these contracts have long gestations. Um, they, um, they are very much drafted for the audience of the people delivering projects. So these are not contracts being drafted by a bunch of lawyers for the benefit of the legal lens. They're, they're one of the core focuses and it's been really actually wonderful to see, is that uh, intention around building tools for the people delivering projects. And sitting behind the, the contracts and, and before they come to market is a very extensive review process. There are five individual formal review stages um, and those reviews involve, you know, some very extensive market testing and multiple levels of um, of reviews by very large groups of people. And, you know, I am absolutely blown away because I see every single comment that somebody makes in a review explicitly addressed and responded to um, through that review process. And the level of debate that can happen at that contracts committee is uh, uh, quite surprising um, and, and involves, uh, you know, there are there's several extraordinarily well-known uh, QCs who give input into this contract suite and, and you're engaging in some, you know, extremely detailed legal issues as you're trying to find that balance between, you know, with the contract and and, and uh, the legal implications of it. Um, and so, yes, the last one, it, it's got very diverse participation and in particular 
participation from lawyers who are coming from lots of different jurisdictions. And that's that's uh, one of the most significant learning points that I've got um, is, is bringing a perspective on our contracts from, uh, you know, how you think about the world if, if you're coming from a, a Western European or an Eastern European or, or an African country. It's um, really refreshing, I've found, to have had that exposure. The Fittick Red Book is, you know, just to take you through, this is, it's the classic construct-only contract. It's the longest uh, running contract. And as you can see, it's been consistently revised. About every 10 to 15 years, a new draft comes through. And that very much follows trends in construction law. And the Red Book, like many construction contracts, is going to contain all of the elements that you would be completely familiar with, with a construct-only contract. Uh, it's based on uh, the employer taking responsibility for the design. It has an engineer uh, with the responsibility for administrating the contract. It's a bill of quantities, remeasured contract in its native form. And uh, for the majority of its life, it's had a dispute adjudication board or a dispute avoidance and adjudication board. And I wasn't going to go into it in a lot of depth, but this 2017 suite is the latest and updated revision that's come to market. We're probably only, what, four years post the publication of the suite. Um, the suite includes what's called typically called the red, yellow and silver suite. Red's construct only. Yellow is the design and construct model. And silver is the EPC or turnkey model. And, and they form the heart of, of that those of that core suite of documents that got published in 2017. Um, that said, the 99 um, edition is still extensively used in market. The 2017 suite probably represented a major shift from the 99 suite. It, the contract almost doubled in length. It adopted a prescriptive project management orientated approach. So, uh, the contract now contains very detailed step-by-step -step procedures, especially around claims and disputes, probably more falling in line with what you might be seeing if you've been looking at, say, the NEC contract as it comes to market. That is one of those trends that we're seeing. The other thing that has been really noticeable with this 2017 suite is the emphasis on dispute avoidance. It spends a lot of time distinguishing claims from disputes. So claims are just genuine entitlements that are allowed under the contract, a process for those, uh, and separating that out from when there's actually a dispute between the party. They have increased the role of the engineer. Um, and as I mentioned before, there's a shift from uh, a dispute adjudication board to a dispute avoidance and adjudication board. So that's really increased uh, the role of the dispute board to be a proactive group of people who are there trying to assist the parties resolve any issues that come up along the way. And, and there's more early warning mechanisms in, in the contract. The other element of this contract suite that has emerged is the FIDIC Golden Principles. These were published in 2019 and Donald Charrett, who uh, may or may not be on the call, was on the task group, task group 15, and drafted these. I should give a plug for Donald's Don's book. He's just published on the international application of FIDIC contracts. So you can work out how to uh, apply the FIDIC contract in any jurisdiction around the world with that. So these set out what is the purpose of the FIDIC contract suite and the principles that FIDIC is trying to achieve. And it's very much trying to root the contract suite in this conversation about we are here to, uh, to provide a 
fair and balanced contract that is centered around fairness to both parties. And uh, and that's set against the context, of course, that uh, you know one of the emerging trends we've got is the use of a highly amended uh, or, or bespoke contracts, and, and they go against what FIDIC is trying to achieve and the purpose of this contract suite. And there's nothing particularly surprising in these golden principles uh, that the contract sets out the duties, rights, and obligations, that it's designed to have clear and unambiguous drafting, it provides fair and balanced risk allocation, that the parties have reasonable time to perform their obligations and exercise their rights, and that we refer disputes to, to the dispute board for a provisionally binding decision. Um, the golden principles are available for free off the website, so uh, if you ever if you want to go and read them. Um, and it was interesting because I was part of drafting the guidance note for the uh, uh, COVID uh, response and you know, very much how do we see it responding was very much framed around these golden principles. Tony mentioned this briefly. We've got the full contract suite. Um, there's a couple of specialist ones. So there's a, uh, the FIDIC suite's got a, a version for underground works and a version for dredging. Um, those are often produced, co-produced with other industry bodies that are focused on particular industries and deals with specific issues to them. Uh, and there's a, um, some work on, on some more versions of those out there. Um, with the latest one, uh, the Green Book is the short form of contract. Um, that's been a big piece of work for the Contracts Committee very recently. Um, and it's the simple uh, version of the contract. And then uh, we've got uh, the remaining contract, which is the base suite, uh, as I said, the red, yellow and silver books. And the uh, also sitting in there is the gold one, which is design, build and operate. To go into a little bit more detail around the surrounding documents uh, and the supporting contracts. So as you'd expect, it has subconsultancy agreements, it has the consultancy agreements, and it has a model joint venture agreement. Importantly, I want to mention that it's got a harmonised suite. Now, this is uh, one of the core relationships FIDIC holds with the World Bank, and the World Bank operate a regime that the multilateral development banks sign up to. And of course, as a World Bank, they have a whole range of policies and procedures that sit around their procurement policies and they use FIDIC as their base, but uh, the forms, the processes have all been aligned up with, with what World Bank requires and there's a harmonised suite of contracts published explicitly for the, the, um, for the multilateral development banks and these are kept up to date with the issues that uh, the World Bank is trying to address through its procurement framework. And by way of example, the one that we are dealing with at the moment was relating to eliminating violence against women. And that's been, you know, so we've been discussing how you reflect that in, in the remit of the dispute board. Because FIDIC is about the business of consulting engineers, it's got a whole suite of tools that, that are sitting around procurement and best practice. Um, so you've got some significant contract guidance notes. It's only a few months away, but um, the guidance book to go with the 2017 suite is, is almost published. It's a big time. There's a lot of uh, support that sits with these contracts. Um, there's guidance on how to select consultants. There's guidance on um, integrity management systems. So how do you fight corruption through your procurement practices? And sustainability and BIM are sort of other kinds of issues that, that you, as you'd expect, you get guidance with. The... Other thing I'd probably mention, and, and this won't take anybody by surprise, but if you go look for 
discussion on the FedEx contract, you go online and you Google it, the volume of resource, the volume of writing internationally by lawyers on this contract and what it means is is vast, more than you'll see for so many other contracts. And it's sort of one of the advantages that you've got of the standard contracts is because there is this very rich body of conversation amongst the uh, legal fraternity. I've got a, th- a few other things, I suppose, that I'll, I'll share on, on risk allocation just very briefly. This is a common slide that, that um, FIDIC used to explain their philosophy as on the risk transfer across the from the red to the yellow to the silver book. Um, And basically they're saying the trade-off you get as the owner for shifting risk to the contractor, whether it's to to DNC, because you're moving the design risk or to the silver book where you're expecting them to just hand over a completed project, is that you lose design control and you increase costs. So that's that's the trade-off that sits behind the um, contract suite. So yes, you can move more risk to the owner, but uh, you you are trading that off for increased price and um, decreased ownership of the design solutions. And if you want to know how it all fits together, this is the general structure of the uh, 2017 suites. Uh, they sit with copyright acknowledgement notes that you expect up the front, 21 general conditions. Uh, you've got the DAA agreement and rules, um, and then you've got all of the forms that sit behind it. Okay, so um, thank you, Kerry. Um, thanks, sir. Uh, my name's Rob Nelson-Williams. I'm the director with Connell Griffin, and I'm going to talk to you about um, FIDIC from a user's perspective. So I'm going to talk in three parts. First of all, um, from a user's perspective, part one, uh, from an employer and contractor's perspective, part two, a few words about claims and disputes, and part three, looking at um, FIDIC, uh, whether it's a, a contract suite capable of adoption in Australia. Part one, a user's perspective, how so? It, it's based on my 11 years of experience in the, in the um, Middle East, um, based in Dubai, working primarily on FIDIC or FIDIC-based contracts. So I had three years' experience as a project director on the employer side, uh, three years' experience as a commercial director on the contractor side, and, and then the five years' experience in a claims consultancy with employer and contractor side clients. So central to the 11 years in the Middle East was a, a close working relationship with the FIDIC 99 red and yellow books, less so with the, uh, the 99 silver book, and very little with the, um, the 2017 updates that Kiri just mentioned. Kiri put up a slide showing contract structure. I've just put up a slide here to show the similarity between the, the red, yellow, and the silver books contract structure in terms of the clauses ranging from general provisions, clause one through to clause 20 which is the uh, claims, disputes, and arbitration. Uh, so you get a familiar grouping of, um, of clauses. This slide, I, I, I'm, what I've tried to do here is to put myself in the shoes of all of the stakeholders that I was involved with in the, in the Middle East, uh, developers, contractors, consultants, project managers, quantity surveys, commercial people. If I was to con- conduct a survey, these, I think, would be the results. I'm, th- I'm doing all of the stakeholders thinking on their behalf. Uh, and I think the first thing people would say would be familiarity. It, it is very well known, FIDIC. Uh, it's known to developers, government agencies, contractors, and, and the supply chain. 
I think people would say the clauses are relatively straightforward. They cover the main contractual issues well. And uh, as Tony and uh, Kiri have alluded to and mentioned, that they're based on vast experience from the, the 1957-55 ICE form of contract. And there's extensive case law in numerous jurisdictions. Um, another thing people would say probably would be an advantage would be standardization and the availability of documents. And Tony and Kerry have mentioned a, a number of those documents. Another aspect is suitability. In my experience, uh, I saw it in every uh, construction uh, environment, uh, offices, oil and gas, road, rail, schools, hospitals, uh, not, not exhaustive. The standardization, I think people would say standardization aids familiarity. It aids certainty. And I think the, the, the way the contracts are structured, that they help communication between parties and efficiency in project delivery and contract administration. And certainly my time as a contractor, I thought that um, by the time I, I started working for a contractor, I'd been there three, four years. Uh, the understanding after three, four years of the familiarity with the Red Book in particular and the Yellow Book, I think it helped reduce tendering and also negotiation costs because you can get you can identify risk quickly and get straight to it with whoever it is you're um, you're talking uh, with on the other side of the table. I think people would also say it's a, it's an engineer's contract. I think that's one of the one of the observations that uh, Kiri and Tony made, and I think this does support and aid on-site relationships because it is it is about um, uh, people. As, I think um, good example Kiri gave. We we had projects, for example, in Libya, Petrochem projects where. You, you can't pick up the phone to local lawyers. You know, your, lo- your local lawyers are in London or Paris. Uh, it's going to be expensive calling them. So, so it aids that, um, that uh, on-site communication, uh, project delivery, uh, and also supports the, the contract administration objectives. The 11 years that I had, I think I came across virtually all construction contracts I came across in the Middle East uh, and, in, and in North Africa were FIDIC or FIDIC-based. So... Again, not exhaustively Saudi Arabia, uh, Sharia law jurisdiction. The other civil codes generally, UAE, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Egypt, Algeria, uh, Tunisia, and a few uh, opportunities, uh, a few incidences down on the east coast of Africa. I think the, the, the familiarity for me, so from a personal point of view, the familiarity enabled speedy understanding of risk allocation and also when the, the risk allocation was altered, you could understand it quite quickly because the, the, the FIDIC discourages uh, wholesale changes from the contract. So you'll get uh, separate particularized uh, conditions. And so you can, you can very quickly, especially if you're, say, working for a contractor or you are a contractor, in your pre-contract negotiations, you can run a schedule very quickly of uh, uh, an Excel schedule of all the particular conditions, you can assign a value for, for in terms of a risk matrix from uh, one to five, one being low, five being uh, high, a, a, a probabilistic assessment of the, the, um, the chance of crystallization of a risk uh, from one to five. So um, if you've got a score of 25, you know you've got to uh, transfer that risk. You've either got to try and transfer it back, share it with the employer, transfer it to the supply chain, insure it, or monetize it. So you, you know you need to make... Um, very good provision in your contract. If it's a silver book, well, that's fine because you know you, you're going to get that opportunity to monetize it. And uh, but if it, if it's a, if it's the red book on the other uh, on the other side, you, you've got to be very careful in monetizing that. And and I think the uh, the golden principles, albeit they only came in, uh, they were embodied in 2019. I think they, they've been 
uh, there throughout with Fiddick in terms of the ideal. But I think that's a starting point. In reality, the contracts that I saw, it's not necessarily the end point. Uh, but even if the risk allocation is altered, knowledge of those, that, that the principles that, that underpin Fiddick facilitates understanding of risk allocation and the monetizing of, of any risk. So I'd say that the understanding of risk allocation, the familiarity, enables a fairly straightforward identification and pricing risk. In, uh, for the last five years uh, um, in the Middle East, in my claims advisory role, uh, um, albeit not a lawyer, um, the familiarity helped with uh, contract analysis and advising either employer or contractor clients on their at-risk position. So I could pick up a contract. I could pick up a contract today within maybe two hours, identify what the departures are from the standard risk allocation and, and advise accordingly uh, without having to go through uh, thousands of documents. I just read the, uh, the, the main contracts and the particular conditions. Another aspect of, with FIDIC is the lack of choice. It, in, in a sense, it's a positive because the FIDIC is so prevalent due to the fact Middle East jurisdictions uh, don't have their own standard forms. A uh, quick word on practical drafting um, before getting on to claims and disputes. FIDIC contracts are intended for use on major projects, uh, and they do include some num numerous practical clauses. So again, we're talking about the 99 book. I've got a couple of examples here. The um, clause 4.6, cooperation. There's an express duty on the contractor to cooperate with the employer and other contractors working on the project. Uh, clause 15.5, an entitlement to termination for convenience other than to execute the work itself or, or for use of the contract, uh, use by another contractor. Clause 20, claims, disputes, and arbitration. There is a fairly straightforward, or certainly in the 99 book, a straightforward claims process. The contractor gives notice uh, within 28 days of becoming aware of an event or, or when it should have become aware of an event uh, uh, for entitlement to time and additional payment and or additional payment. This is a, the notification is a condition precedent to entitlement. The contractor has 42 days to submit a fully detailed claim uh, and the engineer has 42 days to respond uh, with approval or disapproval or comments and or comments. Under subclause 3.5, determinations, the engineer has to determine uh, any time or, or money due and has to consult with each party in an endeavour to reach agreement. If no agreement is reached, the engineer has to make a fair determination. And that's, that, that's expressly called out in the contract. Any agreement or determination must be complied with unless revised by reference to the uh, dispute resolution procedures. That is to a DAB decision or uh, amicable settlement or arbitration. Now, of interest, Kerry mentioned about the developments in, in, under the 2017, that the DAAB, under the Red Book, there was the DAB, but Sadly, in every contract uh, that I was involved in the Middle East, the DAB was struck out. And I can only think it's because of an aversion to the word adjudication. Uh, um, I never really got to the bottom of that. So arguably, there may be less, less risk of disputes with FIDIC. And you could have hundreds of lawyers and uh, contract administrators and practitioners arguing for, for months over this. But there's a huge provision of guidance. Uh, there's a, a FIDIC guide books, publications, papers, extensive commentary on FIDIC contracts and the intended operation of each clause. And so hopefully there is less disagreement on the intended meaning of clauses. I mean, each individual um, operator or administrator will always, you know, there, there's subjectivity going to creep in, but um, there is a lot of guidance there. 
Bidic contracts are intended for use in international transactions, so they do include a stage dispute resolution process. Uh, the first stage is, is going to the DAB. The DAB decision is binding, although each party, either party, can give a notice of dissatisfaction within 28 days after receiving the DAB dis- DAB's decision. The parties must attempt amicable settlement before arbitration commences. I think they've got to wait 20, 56 days uh, to do that. And the intent being that um, disputes that are not settled amicably are determined by arbitration under the ICC rules. Uh, and regarding enforcement, that's so the parties can take advantage of the New York Convention uh, and, a, and, a, and a theoretical, I'd say theoretical, uh, benefit of reference of disputes to ICC arbitration is speed. Uh, as, as under the article, uh, article 31 of the 2021 ICC rules, the tribunal must render its final award within six months of agreement of the tribunal's terms of reference, albeit I'm currently involved in a matter in Doha, uh, an ICC arbitration in which the, uh, the procedural timetable was agreed at 18 months, and it's now heading towards 24 to 30 uh, months because of uh, COVID-related reasons. Finally, part three, is FIDIC capable of adoption in Australia? And I would say yes. Forms are designed for international use. Uh, they do have their roots in common law jurisdictions, uh, but my experience is that they can clearly be used successfully in civil law jurisdictions. And, and therefore, accordingly, why not common law jurisdictions such as Australia and, and New Zealand? Uh, arguably, uh, they may lack some of the proactivity and collaborative approach of NEC, uh, but I'm I, I'm, uh, I'm inter- I was interested to hear Kerry say um, about uh, talk about the 2017 conditions and about uh, uh, the early warnings, which probably were a little bit lacking in uh, in in, ni- in the 99 book, which was 20 years ago or 22 years ago. Um, but I did see some very good drafting, especially by UK lawyers, um, with uh, stakeholder early warnings um, particularised in them. the FIDIC contracts and contractual issues arising, there's a lot of case law to support um, what's happened in, in a lot of different jurisdictions. Um, I've listed some of the, the different uh, uh, tribunals and courts, a uh, bit of a Commonwealth theme there. Uh, and there is an Australian case, Sedgman, uh, uh, and that is a Queensland Supreme Court case where the, the court um, uh, looked at Clause 14.6 of the Silver Book and, and, and looked at uh, what was meant by the words payment due. Going forward for FIDIC, uh, um, uh, there has been a lot of, especially over the last five to ten years, from what I can see, uh, um, there's been increased uh, involvement of foreign contractors in uh, Australian infrastructure and engineering projects. And they will have existing experience of uh, FIDIC in international jurisdictions. And I think the Sedgman case in point on the last slide, I think think that... um, uh, the, the, the client, the owner there, probably had experience with FIDIC from, from, another, from another international jurisdiction, maybe South Africa, and he said, right, I like this contract and I'd like to use it in Australia as well. Um, so I know um, I've listed here four or five contractors who are involved or have been involved, um, Samsung CNT, South Korea, CCC, massive contractor from Greece, very active in the Middle East, uh, Technisas, Reunidas, huge contractor from Spain, Cyprus, Italy, Hyundai, South Korea, and, and I had direct experience with all those contractors in the Middle East, and I think they are, uh, it's not exhaustive, there are a lot more, they're, they're very active in uh, Australia. Uh, um, so I think that a case can be made for increasing the use of FIDIC in Australia, where particularly where the scope of work includes overseas engineering, uh, or procurement involves an international element, or where the international ent- entity, where international entities 
are involved in the bid process. And I'm sure a lot of those contractors would welcome uh, the use of a familiar uh, global contract uh, to use. Uh, um, the FIDIC, FIDIC contracts uh, do and would need harmonising with relevant state security payment regimes and with Australian jurisprudence uh, generally. So in conclusion, I, I would say that um, um, my view is that FIDIC contracts, they, they offer the benefit standard forms, uh, they provide coherence, consistency, uh, and there's a logical arrangement of clauses. Uh, um, they're written for uh, those who administer contracts, and, uh, and they provide clear communication between parties as things happen on site. Um, and, and I'd finally say that if Australia is looking for a standard form for the future, uh, uh, along with examination of contenders such as NEC, if there is to be any such examination, I would recommend an, an examination of the benefits of the FIDIC Rainbow Suite. Um, so thank you for your time. Uh, thank you, uh, Sepp. Thank you, Kiri. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Sokra. Thanks, Rob. And uh, thank you, Tony and Kiri, for your time. As I've said before, we've had over 220 registrations for this webinar and also we've had over 100 live attendees with us today. Please stay in touch and we'll see you next time. Thank you.